Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Ellen Halliday, Deputy Editor at Prospect. Today we're going to be speaking about the fascinating story of Bellingcat, the pioneering investigative journalism outfit. And with us to tell this story is Tom Lamont, a freelance writer for The Guardian, The Observer, GQ and many other places. Tom recently profiled Elliot Higgins, who is the unassuming man behind Bellingcat for our magazine. And he's here now to tell us about everything that he learned. Tom, it's good to see you. You too. Thanks for coming in. So, I guess, first of all, many people will know about Bellingcat and have followed some of their bigger stories. But for those readers and listeners who don't know, what is Bellingcat and why did you think it was a worthy subject for exploration? Yeah, it's, uh, I think they define themselves as an online collective. They pride themselves on chasing and breaking stories using mostly free-to-access online resources. The founder is a man called Elliot Higgins, and that's who I profiled in, in the coming issue of Prospect. He very firmly believes that any of the journalism, or at least most of the journalism that Bellingcat conducts, should be replicatable by the average reader, by someone sitting at home with an internet connection and some gumption. They think of themselves as sleuths as much as journalists, I think. Mm-hmm. And they sort of pride themselves on showing their working, like uh, kids doing mass GCSE exams. You know, they, they want to sort of link to all their sources. They want to show the path they've gone down to solve mysteries, to debunking online conspiracy theories, to trying to work out who perpetuated crimes, to in one or two cases, finding people's lost pets. Mm. I came to think of it as this kind of eccentric, sometimes charming, sometimes obscure online detective agency, as much as a agency of journalism. Mm. But they have, as, as you mentioned, scored some world-shaking scoops along the way since their foundation in about 2014. There's something quite that sort of hints at that disruptive element even in the name, the origin of the name Bellingcat, isn't there? Yeah, this was um, uh, a lot of my information and where I started to to report this piece was I read Elliot Higgins's book about the foundation of this organisation. It's called uh, We Are Bellingcat. He wrote it, he published it a couple of years ago. And he tells the story in that book about how they came to the name Bellingcat, which had always confused me. And it was the um, journalist Peter Jukes who was familiar with Higgins from a previous incarnation as a blogger and a citizen journalist before Bellingcat was formally established and Duke suggested to Higgins that they call it Bellingcat because 
there is a fairy tale about a group of mice. I hadn't actually heard this story before, but I I'm taking I'm ta- yeah, I'm taking it. I'm just sort of uh, you know, I'm taking it, taking them at their word for it. That there is this fairy tale where a group of cunning mice essentially contrive to hang a bell on the mouse that's on the cat on the around the neck of the cat that's terrorizing them, so they know when it's coming. And I think the way Jukes wanted Higgins to understand this was that Higgins and his collaborators with the mice and state players, state actors, nefarious dictators were the were the cats, and they would use their sleuthing to hang bells around the throats of the cat. Mm, yeah, it's a really nice image because, yeah, as I say, got a kind of a sense of mystery to it in itself. Um, uh, although I, I, when I first heard it, I just assumed that there was a sort of for some reason, I just imagine a jolly posh guy called Mr. Bellingcat had started it or funded it. The actual story was, was was sweeter and more benign than that. I think most people sort of stumble when they first come across that name. Do you remember when you first heard of them? I'm not sure. I guess it must have probably been around MH17, which was their first really big story. I think that's when, you know, I'd been aware of open source investigation sort of starting to be um, a, a tool that journalists were using, but that was their first really big story when they hit the mainstream as it were so that yeah that was in 2014 just after they launched and although i remember having huge interest in that story as so many of us did that that horror that horror story to me i don't remember the name sort of registering in my head until 2018 when when the salisbury poisoning happened and i was just knocked sideways i mean this news organization i'd never heard of or never sort of paid any attention to had just sort of come in stepped in from the side, solved a case. It seemed miraculous to me. I mean, it was, I put in the piece that it sort of made me gulp like someone in a cartoon. I was just gobsmacked. I still am a bit. It was an amazing coup. Partly, you say in the piece as well that you you tried to crack that case. Was that kind of your involvement in the case and then Bellingcat kind of cracking it, did that make you realise that there were two very different ways of going about a story absolutely yeah that's that's a sort of astute way to put it that i i see myself as a as a storyteller i think and i i tend to go in narrative first and when i was commissioned to go and write about salisbury and what was happening there it was fairly early after the initial poisoning just to remind your listeners there was a a former russian spy and his daughter were were poisoned um a, a policeman was seriously injured in the fallout and then a much later uh, there were secondary victims who who found some of the poison that had been used uh, against um, the, the the Russian defectors, and um, between those two instances, I, I I was sent to Salisbury to just work out a story, and my inclination was well, find people, tell the human story, try and sort of unravel it like Poirot, and the Bellingcat method is totally different. From the very beginning, Elliot Higgins has said he's happy to miss stuff that other people might report he's he's interested and i think a lot of his key collaborators have been interested in granular detail on stuff other journalists have been missing and that was sort of played out in in a in a, in a small sort of funny way between us because i was one of the traditional journalists who showed up with a notebook a week after the poisoning and i clustered around oh, the police do not cross lines and i watched guys in hazmat suits take samples I tried to speak to eyewitnesses I, I walked around an English city that did not want to be pestered by journalists and I was the pestering journalist and I've, I've got this image of myself sitting in church imagining that someone would just fess up or something you know I was desperate and I didn't really get near to the heart of the story and 
about six months later, my story had come and gone and a million others like it had come and gone. And then the British police released these two photographs of two suspects and they released two assumed names that they'd been used to, for these two men to travel to Salisbury. And Higgins and, and his Bellingcat sort of core team, they took the pictures and they took the names and they did it their way, which involved trawling through databases through using a combination of open source tools and in a way that's probably worth us discussing some some sources that were not open source which which later became I think became more troubling for Higgins especially but they cracked the case and quickly I'm pretty sure that they would have left just as many um, investigators police officers dumbstruck as they left journalists because they they did it you know they got it and very soon afterwards these two men were on Russian state television giving that notorious preposterous interview about the height of the the spire in 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 Salisbury which was yeah that was all Bellingcat you know that was all Bellingcat one of the challenges of profiling impressive people is you have to rein in the fact that they're impressive to you and impressive journalists you as a journalist you encounter an impressive journalist you can't help but be a little awestruck by what they've achieved especially the sort of the, the his beginnings his sort of at total outsider status yeah i think i, mean, I think that would be interesting for people mm. to understand where he came from professionally and how you think that explains his motivations and what he's what he's trying to do through bellingcat yeah he's he's a total outsider as outside as they come He's in his mid forties now, Elliot. But uh, when when his sort of this phase of his life got underway, he was in his early thirties, college dropout, living in Leicester, um, working for a refugee charity in this in the city that had just lost its government contract. He's watching this this office around him just shrink and the people leave. And I think he was perhaps the IT guy. He was an office manager. And slowly, more and more people leave, and it's just him and the and the maintenance guy. And so he just starts using his days while they're paid for, while he's got a computer, while he's got a, a warm room. He starts using his days to invest and develop his skills as a citizen journalist. He s- started off as a as a commenter on the Guardian website. He he loved sort of hanging around the Middle East blog, and and he would pride himself on spotting things in social media posts in raw internet footage that was coming out of conflict zones Libya Syria and he would try and score little points against other commenters to be the first to to get the to, to spot these things it was it was as much i think something to entertain himself and keep him keep his mind occupied as this day job was was winding down that job came to an end i think he he told me he cycled through a few other jobs including he was working for a company that sold ladies underwear and he was working for a pipe manufacturer. This is about as far away from the center of journalism as you can get. Mm-hmm. But he was blogging. He had a blog he called Brown Moses, named after a um, Frank Zappa lyric. And he was developing a reputation, a readership and a reputation, which is kind of what any journalist does. Mm-hmm. But to do it without a an established platform is difficult. And he was just reporter by reporter, reader by reader, gaining more trust. I know some of his reporting contributed to a New York Times front page story. Some of his reporting contributed to stuff that ran on the BBC. But 
in his day job, he's thinking, well, maybe I'll be a, a journalist. The blogging side of me is working. And he applied for all these internships with British news organizations and, and didn't get any of them. That baffles me, but it was what it was. And there were people on the fringes, I think, of his blog who admired the work that was going on, who encouraged him to st remain independent, you know, f found a new platform, gather contributors around him. Bellingcat launched in 2014. He had that conversation with Dukes about naming it. And I think at the beginning, there was maybe half a dozen of them who worked together very closely. But almost immediately, the Malaysia Airlines plane is shot down. They go to work hard and totally to try and un understand what happened. And their work on that influenced criminal investigations. It certainly influenced yours and my understanding of what happened. It, it, it helped blow it open. And, um, and that sort of really forged the beginnings of their reputation that, that, that four years later, the, the, the Salisbury scoop really sort of affirmed. And then they had the third of their hat-trick of scoops, which I'm sh sure you're about to ask about, which is yeah. the biggest. Also, it's worth pausing on the fact that many of those organisations who he sought to go and work for, or, you know, ha now have huge open source units that have all sprung up in the years since uh, those first investigations. And that, that kind of impact of that work, I think, is seen there as well. Let's talk about Navalny, which is, in your view, sort of the third big story that Bellingcat's covered. Tell us about about what they did there. Bellingcat do a, an amazing array of stories and investigations. They they sort of, I think they quite pride themselves on having plenty of oddball curiosity shop mm -hmm. stuff in, in the mix. But they have had these three absolute bangers. And the third of the three was, was, was the Navalny scoop, which there was a contributor on the Salisbury case absolutely crucial they're sort of the equivalent of the star reporter the lead reporter was this man called Christo Grozev and it was his access and understanding of dense databases flight manifests um, identity information Russian identity information that helped them crack the Salisbury case and he was by the time of the Navalny case two years later was still very much involved in the in the Bellingcat project was was making his own investigations and had become allied with Navalny and I don't know if you watched the fascinating documentary, Oscar-winning documentary about Navalny. The unforgettable scene in that for me is is, is one in which um, Grozev and Navalny are sitting in a, a, a safe house somewhere. And um, they've managed to get hold of the contact information for Russian spies. Some of the people who targeted Navalny for assassination when he was uh, poisoned with Novichok before he got on that plane and very nearly died. And with a kind of antic, almost childish spirit of fun, as much as anything, as far as I can tell, which seems to me to sort of quite typically Bellingcat-ish, to be almost as mischievous as anything. With that kind of spirit, they call up the, these numbers, and, and Navalny, who's got a good understanding of Russian tone and military tone, just pretends to be a superior. I'm half remembering this, but I think his father was military and he sort of knew what, what, what words to use, what kind of attitudes to strike to get a subordinate to talk. And he persuades a, a confession out of, out of, out of, one, of the, one of these guys they call up. Extraordinary. I mean, it's completely extraordinary scoop. And to secure one of these for your self-started website would be enormous. You would, you would retire happy. Bellingcat has had these three enormous stories and in a very long-winded way I'm going to come back to your original question about 
why now we, we wanted to write about them. To me, it's always interesting that in the life cycle of people and organizations, I'm interested in the beginnings and I'm interested in the peaks, but I'm also super interested in what comes after the triumphs in the, in the what's next phase. You know, when you've conquered the world already, you've conquered your industry. If journalism is a computer game, they, they clocked it. You know, they're seeing the end credits. And, mm-hmm. and so, what, you know, post Navalny, what next? Yeah. And that's sort of where we, where we come in, where we came in. We came in just to ask that question, to spend some time with the founder, Elliot, and just to look at the organization, to look at its output and try and work out, well, where do you go after something like that? After the break, we'll talk more about how Elliot Higgins has shaped investigative journalism. But first, I'd like to tell you about a new offer. If you take out an annual digital subscription to Prospect, you'll enjoy one month's free digital access to all of the magazine's best long reads, commentary and cultural criticism. Sign up now at prospectmagazine.co.uk slash one month free. Media Confidential is a brand new weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines. When the media goes dark, democracy is at risk. Monitoring those people that monitor us is vital. Expect revealing, high-profile interviews, in-depth analyses. That's me, Alan Rusbridger. And me, Lionel Barber. Strive to discover the truth behind the clickbait. So follow, like and subscribe to Media Confidential brought to you by Prospect Magazine. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. One of those questions that you talked about and hinted at just now is that commitment to open source. So in this, in the Salisbury and the Navalny stories, yes, there was a heavy reliance on open source, but there were also documents that were were reached in other ways, including um, Grozev paying for some out of his own money, I think you, you write about. Yeah. And you said that that's something that Higgins has been rethinking and assessing about the commitment to open source and what, what role that has in Bell and Cat's future. Yeah, it, it was not, it's another reason why they, I think they're an interesting nexus point because two out of the three of their big big scoops were with a grounding of open source work were dependent on paid for documentation 
and online brokers who could get at flight manifests and get at personal data particularly in Russia. Higgins and I had long discussions about this, discussions that went in all sorts of directions. And, uh, and one of the things he said was, in a way, that kind of information is so readily accessible in Russia. Mm-hmm. There are so many brokers off- offering it, or offering access to it, that it, it may as well be open source, was his argument. I don't know if, I don't know if that would, if that fully, fully holds water, but he also was very candid about, it did strike him, especially in hindsight, as being a departure from their roots. That, that if open source was the beginning of everything, that didn't quite count. And I think he said something to me along the lines of, it's very hard to to not go down that path if you can solve big mysteries with that information. But having done so, there's been a an effort to pull back and to go back to their roots. There were other complications. You embarrassed the Russian government at your peril. And there was serious blowback for some of the people who helped them get access to information for those for those stories. What does that blowback look like? It's murky, but I know that one key collaborator had to flee, walked over the border into into the Ukraine. Another, maybe a fixer or a broker, was taken into a forest, mock executed. These are serious, serious repercussions. Uh, Grosov himself was arrested in absentia, even though he's not a Russian national. And he gave a really illuminating and fascinating interview to the Financial Times in the summer in which he said that having previously been living in Austria with his family, he'd been advised by Austrian authorities that it was no longer safe for him to be even there and that he chose to live in America after that. It's an amazing thing for European authorities to say to to such a man. Meanwhile, there's... There's Higgins, who I don't even think I've said is is doing all of this out of the Midlands. <laughs> I was going to say, we haven't talked about that. The contrast between these world-shaking stories and then Elliot Higgins liaising with his colleagues over Slack or what, well, probably not WhatsApp, but, other, you know, maybe other... Signal, signal these, yeah. Um, from his house um, in the Midlands. Yeah, he's sort of, um, he's doing all the dad stuff, school runs, breakfasts. But like probably a lot of parents has also got one eye on the phone in the mornings and after schools. But what's coming into that phone is is pretty high stakes stuff. I found that one of the most fascinating things about him. He's very unassuming. He's um, bearded, spectacles, very engaging and pleasant man. And very understandably happy and proud of what they've achieved. But there was total sort of lack of grandness to him, which you and I and most people in journalism have been around grand journalists you know you, you tend to know who's who's who who are the big dogs or who perceive themselves as the big dogs they carry themselves with a certain aura of, of having scooped you it's not really the the Higgins way he's was very uh, anonymous and very understated I referred to him in the piece as a reformed shy guy but he, he basically told me he had to sort of reprogram his brain to get over anxiety about public speaking because a lot of what he does now is talk. He talks to people. He, he tries to promote principles that Bellingcat believe in. They try to educate people in open use of open source resources. But yeah, this is all happening in the most anonymous part of the Midlands. He sees he sees that aspect of his story as as one of the uplifting parts. It's, it's democratic in in Higgins's view that if you, if he can do all that from his home in Leicester. If he can trip up governments, unnerve warlords, mm. anyone can. I think Bellingcat would say that's one of their aims, is to try and 
proliferate this, these techniques to empower citizenry to hold power to account through open source investigation. The, one of their founding mottos was identify, amplify, verify. The idea is you, you spot a lie, you point out the lie, and you, you make a noise about it. And you hope that by doing that, you reduce the prevalence of the lie. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's possible, maybe not, but that's, that's their goal. Now Bellingcat is a much bigger operation. They've got headquarters in Amsterdam. They've had funding from Google and, and others. So it is a much bigger operation. I think, I mean, a, a couple of things are interesting there to me. One is, it's in the section of the, the, the piece where you talk about the accountability and the conspiracy theories that swirl around Bellingcat and Higgins is quite conscious of and how in, in this expansion he's trying to sort of almost preempt them. But the other is, there's, in this mission to verify, there's kind of an explosion of disinformation. It feels particularly at the moment, um, this year with, with changes at X around the the Israel-Palestine conflict. So the challenge is also arguably greater and the, the this expansion is met by an immediate expansion of the challenge as well. Yeah, I'll, I was thinking about this as a, as a journalist myself, and I'm sure you've had this experience. The moment you publish anything in any publication, someone on the internet will call you a stooge for someone. It's just absolutely guaranteed. And the, the bigger the platform, the more readership, the more people calling you a stooge. And I know I'm not a stooge. I can sort of confirm that's not the case. You know, I confirm it to my own satisfaction that I was not persuaded to write this or that story by whatever shadowy figure in the background is supposed to be um, controlling me. So I'm sympathetic to the (laughs) Elliot Higgins view of the conspiracy theorist attacks on, on, on Bellingcat because there's a lot of them. They get a lot of, they make a lot of impact. They've had a lot of impact. Uh, they have, they're very engaged online. They're constantly involved in disputes with, with, with doubters. And I see why people doubt them. You know, the, the results have been very, very good. They look too good to be true. When I first saw that they cracked the Salisbury case, a little defensive part of me wanted to know how they sort of gamed it. You know, what, how did they do it? But you you may have to make a decision as a, as a as a reader as a, as an individual as a citizen. Am I going to trust this source or not? And Higgins and I spoke around the subject. I pushed him on it a few times. We talked about it in different ways. You know, I asked him what what if you were a citizen journalist suspicious of a Bellingcat? Where would you start? How would you investigate them? How would you how would you work out to your satisfaction whether they were a front for the CIA or the MI5 or whatever? And he said, well, you look at the organizational structure, you look at where the money comes, and and to that end, they've tried to make their structure as transparent as possible. But at a certain point, you are just going to have to say, I don't believe this is legit, or you're going to have to trust it, or you ignore it. And in his sort of wonderful offhand way, I think Higgins was pretty comfortable just saying, you know, take it or leave it, really. You know, he's had that argument a lot about, are they a front for someone? Mm. He's had that argument more or less constantly. Earlier this year, Elon Musk called it a psyop, the whole of Bellingcat. I mean, dismissed in five letters. And um, they're they're just getting on with what they do. The second part of your question about um, the online lie, you know, the, the prevalence of misinformation, disinformation right now. I kind of think in a funny way, it's given Higgins and the organization new life, the need the, the terrible need 
especially in the last couple of months, to push back against deliberately seeded wrong or bad faith information. You know, we we, know, we all know the path we've been on as a as a globe. You know, when it comes to this stuff, whether it's Trump, whether it's nameless individuals who just have found that the, the Musk era of Twitter or X is very um, welcoming to what what Higgins calls grift. I sensed an organisation sort of slightly revived, moving perhaps not away from traditional journalism, but sort of expanding its focus or or, or, or turning a few angles away to really hone in on proliferating the techniques that allow for the verify part of the identify, verify, amplify mm -hmm. equation that they have, they've leaned on through the, through the organization's existence. They want people to understand how easy it is to spread a lie. They want people to understand what you should be looking for, how you take a scrap of digital information and break it apart. And as they have done an, dozens of times, countless of times to, to great effect in the aftermath of the MH17 um, um, downing, they, to take one example, they, 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 they picked apart an image that was put out by the Russian military, supposed to indicate some culprit or some area that the, that the missile was fired from, and they were able to pick apart and show for their readership how that how that image had been fabricated, you know, that it was a digital fabrication. If you can expand now in, in 2023, 2024, that people's understanding of those techniques, if you can give them the, base, the basic levels on which to be usefully skeptical about what, what, they, what they're reading online, you can potentially, who knows, but you can potentially push back against this tidal wave of BS, if, if I may, that utterly characterizes online debate and online news. It feels terminal to me, and never more so than in, in the beginnings of the recent Gaza conflict, when nobody knew what was, was, was right or wrong, was deliberately misleading, was, was just wrong-headed. You know, it, it was, it felt desperate, it felt hopeless. Mm. I spoke to Higgins about a month after the conflict started, and he sounded pretty hopeless, to be honest. But I feel that their way of dealing with it which I quite admire is to try, is to just strip back and focus on verification, verify, verify, verify. It's really interesting in Bellingcat, or rather in in your conversation with with Higgins, with his reaction, as you say, that sense of hopelessness towards um, the situation in in Gaza and how an organisation like Bellingcat can make an impact. He sort of says something about you know for every as soon as you look, start looking to one horrific incident there are 10 more and it kind of struck me that with some of their huge stories they've kind of come at it after the fact they've waited for as you say the traditional media to report out and they've looked for the holes and they've filled in key bits of information but with the fast pace of of that that, that conflict that we're now seeing and the pace not just of events but of interpretation and counter-interpretation and a narrative's kind of already taken hold that even an organisation like Bellingcat might find it hard to shift after the fact do you think that's something that Higgins is, is aware of or thinking about? I quoted a, a line, I mentioned it, I quoted it twice in my piece because it really really disturbed me, I asked him you know, if Bellingcat was a 
10 years younger as an organisation was in the, the very beginnings of its enthusiasm, I thought it would have treated those early weeks in Gaza a certain way. It would have poured time and resources into picking apart specific events about which there was a lot of confusion. And he sort of said, yeah, we could do the piece. What, is it? What, what, what difference does it make? You know, and this is from the founder of the organisation that to me is like, if, you, if, you, if you're going to list the top 10 scoops of, of, of the last few decades, they've got three of them. So to hear the sort of dismissal and disillusionment of investigative reporting in this time and how its usefulness might be sort of diminished to that extent was disturbing and upsetting for me as, a, as someone who believes in investigative reporting as, as, as an invaluable social act. I guess they're they're like a lot of us in a bit of a swirl. This has been a radicalizing event, you know, and you, you we've been knocked out of a lot of our complacent ways of thinking about things. And f- for them, perhaps you know that 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 with the speed of the, the way the way the pace of this has changed, the way that the platform like you know Twitter X has changed, they've they've just moved away from the the stuff that was the the lifeblood of the organization early on and now they're looking in a different direction towards education towards savvying up the population of internet of internet users who are who are swallowing a lot of what they're getting unquestioningly mm. i think one of the things he said to me that stuck was that he was just really unnerved by the idea of a world where people get to choose the reality they prefer and you can see that you know we're on the cusp of that if we're not already there. One of the other things that sort of struck me in those early days of the conflict in Gaza when particularly with the hospital explosion on X and perhaps on other platforms but certainly on X there were lots of people who were deploying the language of open source investigation and those kind of techniques but perhaps weren't you know actually ballistics experts and such like and being able to discern who actually knows what they're talking about and who doesn't becomes quite blurry in that world of citizen journalism that could make that challenge of trust that Elliot Higgins and Bellingcat need to create a little bit more difficult. It's almost like by, by sort of creating the the role of online sleuth, digital detective, whatever term he wants to use, he's almost created his own future enemy. There's now a sort of status to the online debunker and who de- who debunks the debunker. I hadn't really thought of it that way. I think I, I, I'm a boring traditionalist. I want to feel that I'm getting my news from a journalist I trust. <laughs> but at the same time, if I was completely hardline about that, you you would have written off Bellingcat earlier in the early days and you would have lost all of that, all of that sort of eye-opening detail and near miraculous to me reporting that they managed. So you have got to let in the prospect that individuals sitting, you know, unsupported, unresourced at their computers can achieve amazing journalistic feats, can be doing this stuff. But yeah, like you say, on the other side, it does empower the individual to to sort of quickly bash out a lie, you know. <laughs> and, and, in, and in his way, I wonder if Higgins and Bellingcat haven't sort of created as many liars as useful skeptics that's kind of action movie plot stuff where you've you you accidentally seed your future your future opponent i mean i think in a way what you said in the piece about the mission going from identify verify amplify to verify 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 that kind of speaks to that a bit because the mission is is in a way reduced you could look at it that you know it's more focused but they just have to 
and they have to put all of their resources into that one mission um and and yeah you know counter the disinformation that perhaps the digital online digital detectives are themselves creating yeah when i left him one of on one of the occasions he was off to do a talk for school kids how to spot the internet lie what a useful tool right i mean that is going to have to become more and more a part of a young person's education we were taught look left and right before you cross the road you know otherwise you get splattered by a car there is there is the internet version of that especially post-musk when it's very easy for the lie to get in front of a lot of iron thanks so much tom for joining us we'll be sure to link to your piece in the show notes of this episode and for listeners at home you can read it in full if you pick up a copy of prospect magazine or if you visit prospectmagazine.co.uk 